0: The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission? To make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit FellowshipTX.org. All right, you may be seated. Man, it is good to be in church this morning, amen? I love it. I love coming to church. I love, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of getting up in the mornings. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, so when I set my alarm on a Sunday morning, um, it's kind of like, you know, it's the weekend and you feel like you should be resting, but and I get up like at six and shower up and come over here and, you know, I love getting here before anybody's in here you know I'll come and I'll pray and I'll kind of go over uh, what I'm going to talk about or go over the song set when I'm singing and I just think it's awesome that we have a place to come to to we can gather together and we can be a body of Christ together amen and we've been in the book of Acts And Acts goes through uh, the beginning of the church and how the church started. And I've been loving this series through the book of Acts. And last week we read that Stephen, uh, the first martyr, Stephen, one of the first deacons that were called, uh, gave this convicting and encouraging message Uh, reminding people of the Old Testament and the mistakes that were made uh, by the people of the Old Testament as it concerned God. And he called them uh, stiff-necked people and said that they had uncircumcised hearts and ears, meaning they they didn't want to hear, or I'm sorry, hearts and eyes. They didn't want to see, they didn't want to feel what God was doing. And, And he said that they were going against the Holy Spirit. He said that they received the law through angels and had not kept it. And Stephen gave his life for that message, that there is hope, that there is redemption in Jesus Christ and that we are to not uh, get in the way of what God is doing. And Daniel preached about that, right? About, uh, about the dangers of pride and being fake and becoming callous to the things of God. And if we're not careful, that can absolutely happen, right? And he, he challenged us last week that, that as Stephen was challenging these people we need to look at that and say, church, let's not let that become us, right? That we become fake, that we become calloused, and that we don't do what the Holy Spirit happens. But this can absolutely happen when we become comfortable where we are, amen? I titled this sermon Comfortable Christianity, and, uh, and we'll get, kind of get into that. But a comfortability can become dangerous uh, to the mission that has been set before us being comfortable can become dangerous to the mission that's set before us i want to read this little story it's a it's just like a fake story just a kind of intro here Uh, it's a little story i I ripped off of another preacher so um here's what he said he said once upon a time in the land called feel good there was a church this new church was called the church of comfortable and tolerant very recently this church hired a new pastor pastor peacekeeper who was just graduated from the seminary of smooth talking. The congregation of the Comfortable and Tolerant loved the new pastor's sermons. Some of their favorites were, God is happy with everyone. Everything is fine and dandy, and there's nothing but good times ahead. Pastor Peacekeeper once made a terrible mistake. He wrongfully allowed minister conscience into the pulpit. Minister conscience did nothing but call human mistakes sins and call the good folks of the congregation to repent. Minister Conscience had never been to the seminary of smooth talking, uh, and maybe he should have before attempting to preach. The congregation of the comfortable and tolerant were shocked at Minister Conscience's audacity and arrogance. They said things among themselves like, why does this self-righteous legalist, or who does this self-righteous legalist think he is, coming and talking to us like that? Why should we allow this false preacher among us any longer to continue to persecute us? Pastor Peacekeeper terribly regretted letting Minister Conscience into the pulpit. Minister Conscience had had betrayed the trust that he had with the pastor. So Pastor Peacekeeper asked Mr. uh, Mr. Conscience to please leave the church. He was not welcome there any longer. Everyone was happy that Minister Conscience was asked to leave, except one member called Deacon Holy Ghost. So (laughs) Deacon Holy Ghost and Minister Conscience left together, and after a while, nobody even noticed that they were gone once things got back to normal the way they had always been everyone was happy once again in the land called feel good pastor peacekeeper continued to sugarcoat sweet and wonderful lies i mean sermons that made everyone comfortable in their sins and heavily guarded his pulpit from abrasive truths who could blame him you see the pastor loved his new home his new church and of course he loved his new income He couldn't put such precious things on the line, so he absolutely guaranteed that the church of comfortable and tolerant were as satisfied and as happy as they could possibly be while he sat in their complacency. They lived the rest of their days happily ever after, that is, until they were finally cast into hell. (laughs) Now, just let that sink in for a little bit. Obviously, it's a little story that's uh, fake, but Comfortability can become dangerous. When we become comfortable with not so much being challenged or not doing what God has called us to do, that can be very dangerous. Now, the idea of things being comfortable is not bad all in itself, right? There are some things that I absolutely want comfortable in my life. You know, um, my shoes, I hope that my shoes are comfortable. Nobody wants to walk around in uncomfortable shoes. Uh, I hope that like my bed is comfortable. The clothes I wear, the ride in my truck. You know, I want some of those things to be comfortable. My wife, I want my wife to be comfortable. You've heard the old adage, like, happy wife, happy life. That's very true. So I want to keep her as comfortable as I possibly can. However, when it comes to the mission that God has placed before us, there is no such thing as comfortable. When it comes to the mission that God has set before us, there is no such thing as comfortable. There actually is no such thing as a day off when it comes to the gospel message that we take forward. There should never be a day off. We should never get to a point in our Christian lives where we say, you know, I've been working so hard at the mission that God placed before me. I think I need a little break. I think I need a little breather. I've been doing so much for the Lord. And uh, no doubt that there are some people out there who are killing it, right? They're, they're just going 24-7 and they're, you know, they're doing things for the Lord and, 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 and there's never a moment where, where, where they seem like they struggle. I'm sure there's somebody out there like that. But for most of us, it's a struggle. Wouldn't you agree? It is a struggle to do what God has called us to do constantly day in and day out without any break or any rest we tend to struggle with our own desires and with the desires that God has called and placed on our lives. It's not always a 24-7 thing that we're always doing. So to take a break from something that we're actually not doing a whole lot of doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, when Richard, my son, was younger, uh, he still works with me. I'll do, like, you know, a construction job here and there. But I used to have my own business. And I would take him with me and uh, about, you know, we'd do breakfast. I'd get him some breakfast and an orange juice or whatnot. And then about 10 o'clock, he's like, is it lunchtime yet? And I, and I would be like, no. And he says, are we going to take a break? And for two hours until lunchtime, he would be miserable. I mean, he, why, why don't we take lunch yet? He hadn't been out there two hours not doing a dang thing. And so... And so what did he need a break from, right? And sometimes I feel like that can become us or me, myself. I'll point the finger at myself because I feel like sometimes I'm doing really good for the Lord and I'm doing things and, and, and it feels really good. And then, and then I, I get like, man, I just need some time to myself. Like I want to go play golf. I want to do this or whatever. And, and then I'll get in this rut, right, where, where I'm not doing really what God has called me to do trust me when I tell you this and Daniel will agree that we could, we could wake up Saturday morning and plan this service and come Sunday and do it. And you'd never know the difference. I'm being dead serious, but it's all the stuff throughout the week that we do with building relationships and making disciples and all that. That's, that's the hard work, right? And so, and so we, we can, the mindset of a comfortable Christianity really did not go together saying I can take this break. I can take this rest from what God wants me to do and not so much do it all the time. Those two don't go together. Being comfortable can actually look like a really good thing. It really can, right? Really good things can happen when we're comfortable. Now, we'll, we'll track back to that here in a second. But for now, let's get into our text for this morning. Remember, uh, we had read last week as uh, Daniel had preached that Stephen gave this sermon, the people were upset, and then they murdered him, right? They took him outside and stoned him. And then this is right where we pick up right after that, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. It says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them." So let's address a couple of things before we really get into the meat of this sermon, okay? At the end of chapter 7 and right here at the beginning of chapter 8, we're introduced to a man named Saul. Now, most of us know that Saul would later turn into Paul. God would change his name. He would become the Apostle Paul, and he would turn into one of the most pivotal, monumental Christians to ever walk the face of this earth, But Saul was not the person you would have wanted to run into in a dark alley if you were a Christian back then. If you were a Christian before Saul's conversion, you did not want to meet Saul of Tarsus. You didn't. Uh, he, He absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, hated Christianity. He hated people that were going out and proclaiming the way, right? That's what they called it at first, the way, that they were saying Jesus was actually God and that he was the Messiah and that he shared in divinity with God. Saul hated that. And it shows here that he was going out and he was ravaging the church and he would bust down doors and he would watch people get killed. And he admitted himself that people died because of his hands before his conversion. Conversion. And so this, this angry mob is getting ready, ready to kill Stephen because of the gospel. And the Bible says that this guy, Saul, he's standing right there and he approves of it, right? They're, they're, pulling, every, they're pulling him out and they're, they're, there's this uproar, this mob and Saul is like, yeah, let me hold your coat while you go and stone this dude. Like he was really excited about it. Uh, the, actually the Greek word for agreed or approved here, and I'm gonna butcher this, is uh, sunyo dokio. And it says to approve or to be pleased with. In other words, as they're killing Stephen, the first martyr, Saul is standing on the side with a grin on his face that he really enjoyed what was happening. He was pleased with the fact that they were killing this man. Saul is a young and -and up-and-coming religious leader who is willing to go to extremes to stop Christianity from spreading the gospel message. Look at verse 3 again. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And what's interesting is that you would think that as they kill this man, Stephen, there would be some hush-hush around it, right? They killed him. Maybe they got into this frenzy and now he's dead and you would assume it would be like, oh, we need to lay low for just a second because we just murdered somebody and that's not good. But it actually had the opposite effect. They murdered him and then that sparked something in all of the other people there that they started actually trying to murder other Christians. It says uh, that severe persecution broke out, right? On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Did you catch that last part? The very last part. It says, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. This severe persecution breaks out. And where do the majority of these Christians go? To Judea and Samaria. This is real interesting right here. We have to catch this, what's being said here. This is real interesting uh, because we read in Acts chapter 1 at the beginning of the church, straight out of Jesus' mouth, his own words, Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why, why were the Christians not in Judea and Samaria already? What was the holdup? See, when we read these chapters like we do, you know, and they, they happen pretty quick as you're reading, we tend to think like, like this whole ordeal with Stephen happened three weeks after Jesus ascended, right? It seems pretty bang, bang. Like, Peter preaches, thousands of people get saved, they get thrown in jail the next day, they get out of jail the next day, Stephen. But that's not the case. This didn't happen three weeks later, or six months later, or even two years later. At this point where we're reading here, this is four to six years after Jesus had ascended. Four to six years, okay? Four to six years after Jesus ascended and gave them the charge to go. Now, he made it abundantly clear that the charge he gave was a missional one, right? We read Matthew 28, uh, and, and he tells them, all authority has been given to you. Go, go therefore, continually going. And then in Acts 1, as he's about to ascend, he says, remember to go Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, Judea, through the other utter ends of the earth. But for some reason, four to six years later, there was no going forth. There was no going forward, there was no continually going. The church had a lot of success where they were, right? The gospel was reaching Jerusalem and it was spreading like wildfire and thousands and thousands of people were getting saved. We saw 8,000 people from two sermons of Peter get saved and so much so that they're starting to do ministry and they have to appoint these deacons and things are going really good and this church is like expanding Jerusalem. Jerusalem is blowing up for Christianity and it's growing. And I can imagine the leadership of the church thinking like, man, Jesus was right. This is awesome. This is actually happening. I mean, imagine for one second that, you know, after a you know, period of three years, you know, fellowship has to go to three or four services because we can't contain everybody in this room. That's kind of the idea here. That it's blowing up. But. Don't you just hate that word? Like, not the other one, but, you know, B-U-T. But. But. Uh, it's, all, it's almost like when you hear something that's too good to be true, there's always a but on the other end of it, right? Always. It's like, uh, look, uh, we have this awesome opportunity for you and, and, and both of us are gonna make a lot of money and you're gonna be able to be flexible and work from home and all this stuff, but. <laughs> and there's always this catch, right? Always a catch. Or, or like, uh, hey, we have this really good offer for you and there's no money up front needed, but, but, right? There's always this kind of but in the way and the church was growing and ministry was happening and people were getting saved all over Jerusalem, but, but something was missing. Something was missing. As I said earlier, comfortability can become dangerous. Comfortability can become dangerous. They were comfortable in their surroundings in Jerusalem. This was home. No doubt there was some persecution going on. And we've read that. Now, up until this point, nobody had died. They had been thrown into jail. They had been flogged a little bit. But this was really the turning point when Stephen's martyrdom. He was the first one to die for the cause, other than Jesus. He was the first one, really, where they laid their hands on him and killed him. But up until that point, it wasn't relatively severe. There was some persecution going on. But there was little change to their familiar territory. However, Jesus had commanded them to go. He didn't say stay in Jerusalem. He said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth, right? And by this point, four to six years later, it seems here like that's kind of a distant thought in their mind because Jerusalem's going so well. They'd been rocking and rolling for the gospel and had forgotten the model that Jesus left before them. They had forgotten the model that Jesus left before them. That the whole world, starting from Jerusalem outward, was to hear the good news. And the comfortability of home in Jerusalem blinded them from that fact. Nothing had been done to go forward. Everything had been done centrally right there in Jerusalem. So God allows this persecution to come out to then light a fire under them and go. This persecution absolutely came from God. And he said, you're going to go, and you're going to go one way or the other, right? God had given them a clear commission, and up to this point, they had only partially obeyed. Let me just say one thing. Partial obedience is still disobedience, okay? Partial obedience is still disobedience. This is evident throughout the whole Old Testament. We see it with Moses. We see it uh, with Saul right? When he's going and God tells him to kill everybody and he lets certain people live. Partial obedience is still disobedience. We see it with King David and you know, partial obedience says we get to pick and choose what part that God wants us to do, right? We get to pick and choose. We get to be the ones who decide what's best from what God wants us to do. And God says, that's not the way it works, right? God has never asked our opinion on what he wants us to do. He gives us an objective and expects for us to do it. In other words, God didn't say, hey, guys, you know, I'd really, really like I'd strongly, strongly, you know, consider you guys moving on from Judea, uh, from Jerusalem because Judea, Samaria and everywhere else needs it. But, you know, if you don't want to, it's okay. You know, if you just want to stay in Jerusalem, and be comfortable, that's fine. But, you know, please, pretty please, don't do that. This is not what Jesus said. Jesus said to go. And, and, and when they did not go, this persecution came on. And, and then they knew that they had to go, right? And although there were many good things happening and people felt the Spirit of God moving in their lives and they were still missing the point of what Jesus was trying to do through them. And so, church, hear me, please. If you haven't listened to anything else I've said... Listen to this one thing this morning. Just listen to this one thing. This church, fellowship, is not the end goal. This church right here, fellowship, is not the end goal. We, pre-COVID, we, we run about 275 here. Sometimes we'll hit 300. Sometimes we'll go down to 250. Our goal is not to get to 300 and stay at 300. Our goal is not to get to 1,000. Our goal is not to get to 10,000. The goal, the mission is to take the gospel from Jerusalem to J- Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. Amen. Meaning it doesn't stop here with us. And if we get too comfortable with the idea of who we are and what we're doing, we will then forget the mission that God has set before us. Even though good things can be happening, because I, trust me, good things are happening, right? I get that like the whole pandemic kind of you know threw us for a loop, but good things are happening we're constantly seeing people come into our office and give their lives to the Lord or commit to this church or commit to discipleship, and, and good things are going down, but we have to remember not to forget that partial obedience is still disobedience we should never have a goal number in mind here and then when we get there say oh we've done it oh we've got to 500 we're good oh we've got to making so much money a year we're debt free whatever that should never be the goal never once we've reached all that we can reach here in Nederland, then it's time to start in on Port Natchez. Then it's time to start in on Port Arthur. Then it's time to move on to Beaumont. And then it's time to move towards Houston because we are supposed to be missional minded for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. There might be a church on every corner in the Bible Belt, but if they're not taking the gospel and being missional, then that's our job to do it. Okay, If some church isn't going to do what God has called them to do, we can't use that as an excuse to say they've already got a church over there. Well, if that church isn't doing their job, we could go do the job. And so it's a missional-minded thing that God has called us to do. We can't be comfortable with this location and with this congregation being all that there is. There's a danger of being comfortable when we are. Less work gets done when the church is immobile less work gets done for the gospel when the church is immobile so I have four quick cautions on stagnation and comfortability as as a church body so four things to understand about comfortability that we need to watch out for these four quick things and we'll be done all right number one understand that the gospel cannot be successful if it stops right here The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be successful if it stops right here. Imagine for one second, none of these Christians that we're reading about had gone anywhere but Jerusalem. Imagine for a second. Imagine for a second God sends this persecution and they run and hide instead of spreading and giving the gospel. Right now, according to a Pew Research Center survey, there are more than 2 billion Christians worldwide. Two billion there is no country in the world today that has not been reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, all people groups have not been reached, but there is no country in the world that has not been reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That is amazing. Had those Christians stayed put where they were, then these statistics would not be the case. Had they not left Jerusalem, that would not be the case. What did it say in verse 4 of chapter 8? Look at what it says. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word of God. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. Once the church went mobile, the gospel went global. Okay? Once the church went mobile, the gospel spread like wildfire everywhere because there was Christians everywhere. And these Christians who had gone were going to do what God had called them to do. So if we become so comfortable that we get consumed with this local body right here where we are, Fellowship Church. If we get so comfortable with what's going on here, none of that global stuff happens. None of it. And I get it. We give to missions and we give to missionaries who are out there doing on the front lines in foreign countries. We got a neighboring city of Port Arthur who's like going down the drain. And if you live over there, I'm so sorry that I said that. That's not what I mean. But people are like fleeing Port Arthur and businesses and, 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 and you know, they need the gospel, right? They need the gospel too. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of this, uh, as we're going to see further in the book of Acts, right? They moved from town to town, from region to region, establishing churches, and this model should have never changed. The model is what made the gospel successful everywhere, that you have this one church that explodes, that church plants another church. And then that church explodes, and then that church sees where they can send somebody else to plant another church because the gospel needs to get out, right? And it has to be all over the world. And this model is not one that is accomplished by us being comfortable in our pews here at Fellowship. That's not the way it's going to work. If we get so comfortable that we don't want to take the gospel anywhere, then the model doesn't work. It is only accomplished when you and I take the gospel outside of these four walls. That's the only way it's accomplished. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've been called to take the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the only objective that Jesus left. We should be doing it. And each and every one of us in this room have been called to do it. Each and every one of us. That's point number two. Point number two. We need to understand that we have all been called to take the gospel forward. Look at verse 1 again in chapter 8. All except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then verse 4. Those who were scattered went on their way preaching, uh, preaching the word. So who were these people preaching this gospel? Were they pastors? Were these people paid ministry people? Were these people fresh out of Bible college? Had they been to seminary? Were they, were they well trained in, in how to do the gospel and took in a four to six year course? No. They were people just like me and you. They were regular people like Adam Frouchet. They were regular people like Seth Baker, like Eric Bryan. They were regular people who were going out and who were preaching the word of God. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, uh, Paul here is writing to Timothy and he says in uh, verse 8, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as a prisoner. Instead, share in suffering from the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, don't forget about this holy calling that God had put on us. What is that holy calling? Go, therefore, is what Jesus says. That's the calling that each and every single one of us have. And Paul is telling Timothy, he's a new pastor. He says, remember to remind your congregation that we're to be continually going because God before the foundations of the earth has called us to do that. That's special. That God, before the foundation of the earth, chose you to then go out and accomplish his mission. We should be honored. We should be honored for what God has called us to do, right? That we get to take his gospel message wherever we go. And sometimes that means going instead of staying. Sometimes it means going instead of... Some of you listening to me right now, God wants to call you to plan a church or a ministry. Some of you hearing my voice right now, God wants to make you into an international missionary to take the gospel where others can't. Out of this congregation, we know that because that's what the Bible says we've been called to do. Remember what I said earlier. Imagine if none of us go. Where's the gospel going to go? Where is it going to go? It's going to be contained right here and not go any further. And every minute that passes that we don't heed the call of God is placed on our lives, the gospel does not go forward. Every minute. The more comfortable we become with our current situation, the less the gospel moves forward. It's that simple. The more comfortable we become, the less the gospel moves forward. It takes you and it takes us as your pastors to accomplish this goal. Again, understand that we have all been called to take the gospel forward. And this cannot happen, nor will it happen if we continue to be comfortable here in this building. Number three, when we are comfortable, the urgency of the gospel is lost. I want you to tune in real close right now. When we're comfortable with our current situation, the urgency of the gospel is lost. For, for just one second, I want you to think of all of the negative effects cancer has had on this world. We probably all in here know somebody who either has cancer or who has died from cancer. It's a terrible thing that goes on in this world. Now imagine for one second that every one of us in here have the absolute cure to every cancer known to man. Just follow me here for a second. We have the cure. Now imagine that we take this information that we have about this cure and every Sunday we get together and talk about how great this cure is. We sing about the wonderful cure that fixes this devastating illness. We so enjoy this information that we have. Now imagine for a second how horrible it would be if we told no one about this cure. Play along with me and think seriously what we're talking about here. If you had the cure to cancer, how horrible would it be to limit this information to just our friends and family? I have a very strong feeling that if just one of us had this information, our lives would be radically changed forever. If we had this saving information, this life-altering, life-changing information, information that would change somebody forever we, we would be on all the news channels we would be traveling the world getting this out we would help get this information to as many people as we know because we know every second that this information did not go out or it was unknown people would suffer and die now imagine that the gospel is as important as the cure to cancer Imagine that the gospel message that we've been commanded to give is as important as the cure to cancer. Can I just help us out here this morning? The gospel message is the most important thing ever on the history of this planet. Ever. And we have the cure, we have the fix. We have the answer and the solution to sin and to the problems that this world has and and to the divorce rate and and to suicide. We have the answers to people feeling miserable and not having a purpose in this life. We have an answer to those people who one day will be knocking at the doors of hell and it's going to welcome them. We have the cure And I want to believe for for just a little bit, I want to believe that if you had the cure to cancer, you would walk out of these doors and you would get it to somebody you know fast. Would you not? Would you not? For the sake of getting back to restaurants, if you had the cure to COVID, you'd be out there. You'd be on Fox News tonight. And yet we have the most important message on the history of this planet? And when was the last time we shared that gospel with anybody? Look at what John four thirty five says. Jesus says, don't you say there are still four months and then the harvest comes? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Don't we should never dare to say, I got plenty of time. I know I've been you know, thinking about this family member, I've been thinking about this friend, I got plenty of time. Time is not promised to any one of us. And Jesus is saying, the Time is now. They're ready, the harvest is ready. The fields are white. He says, look out there. He's giving them an analogy. And he's saying, you see all that field that's ready for harvest? There's no workers. Because there are unsaved people that we know that sometimes we get a, a, a little cowardice and we get a little intimidated and we get a, you know, a little anxiety about talking to anybody about Jesus. But we have the cure to their cancer, which is called sin. And Jesus said, don't just contain that to Fellowship Baptist Church. Don't just contain that to here, to where we come in the mornings on Sundays, and we're so excited to sing about this cure to cancer, and we're so excited to sing about the effects that it does, and then we go out and don't say anything. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that because people need to know. The fields are ready for harvest. There are people out there who need to hear the word of God, and it's our job to take it. Number four, and I'll be done. God will use any means necessary to get the gospel forward. God will use any means necessary to get the gospel forward, even if that means making us uncomfortable. Let me just say this before I go on. Church, you don't want it to get to that point. It's coming, I get that, and I preached about that a few Sundays ago. It's coming. But is is that what it should take? For people to bust down our doors and throw us into isolation for us to be able to open our eyes and say, we need to do this? In 605 B.C., the Babylonian Empire conquered Jerusalem, ending their reign of being a sovereign nation for nearly 2,500 years. God had warned Israel over and over again that their disobedience would eventually be the fall of their nation that God himself had established. And this was absolutely allowed by God. He foretold in prophecy, he said, Babylon's coming, they're going to take you over, and you're going to be under the rule of someone else for a long time. God understood the drastic measures that needed to take place for Israel to repent and obey him once again. Let me read that again. God understood the drastic measures that needed to take place for Israel to repent and obey him once again. This is exactly what we see happening here in uh, Acts chapter 8. That there was this partial obedience to taking the word out. That they had done Jerusalem and they were doing a really good job of it. But nobody, nowhere in their minds had even thought to go beyond that. And God says, well, I know one way to get you out. And allows this persecution to come on them. And Stephen dies. Stephen's martyred. No longer living. He's stoned to death for them to be able to realize that they had been missing it. Persecution breaks out and God allows it. Would you call persecution a good thing? I preached on persecution a few weeks ago, and some of the testimonies from brave Christians does not sound like fun, nor does it sound like it was a good thing in the moment. But look at Romans eight twenty-eight. It says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What if God deemed it good for persecution to come and to scatter this group? I'm not saying that that's going to happen. But what God deems to be good may look completely different than our idea of good. We have the opportunity and the freedom right now to do it without it coming to that. This should be a warning to us, church. This should be a warning to us. That we have this amazing answer to the sin that rots this world and the more we stay silent the more people die and go to hell the more I don't get the message out the less people get saved I could be real comfortable I promise you I could be real comfortable showing up here and singing or preaching every other Sunday because I love doing that but that's not the mission That's not the call that God has placed on my life to just stand here on Sundays in front of you. That's not the the call that God put on your life to sit in that pew every Sunday. The call that he put on all of our lives is to go forth and to take this cure that we have and to make it known to all the world. So who's going to step up? Who's going to be the one that says, Here I am, Lord, send me? Who's going to do it? Will there be any? Or are we going to be too comfortable with the way that God has our lives right now? With our finances and with our homes and with everything else? Don't get comfortable with all that stuff because you could die tomorrow and it's gone. And I don't want to stand before God and say, man, God, I built a really good legacy for my family and I left them money in the bank and you know, I left them a good house and vehicles. But I never told anybody about your son, Jesus Christ. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you when you're face to face with God. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing. And I want us to take this moment To genuinely think, how can I take what I've learned right here in the Bible? How can I learn from the mistakes from the people who have gone before me? And maybe we need to come to this altar and say, God, change my heart. Maybe we need to come to this altar and say, you know, I've never really seriously considered telling anybody about Jesus. Maybe we need to ask God for forgiveness. Maybe we need to ask God for the strength and for the courage To get this life-saving cure outside of these four walls. And I promise you, church, that when we do that, this place will explode. And this place will explode so much that we're going to have to open another place. And that place will explode so much that we're going to have to open another place. Because the gospel message is always successful when we do what God has called us to do. And we're never going to stop saying that here. We're never gonna stop saying that. We're never gonna stop challenging you, challenging ourselves to do the very thing that God has called us to do. Let's be a church that honors God in his, missional, in his missional charge that he's given us this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we come before you this morning. And God, I think sometimes we don't realize, I'm guilty. I'm going to be the first one to admit, God, this morning that I am guilty of passing someone who I've met of not communicating well enough with my family members about your son, Jesus Christ. Please forgive me for that. Please forgive us, God. I pray this morning that we would have the understanding and the comprehension, God, that if we don't get the word out, nobody else will that if we don't get the word out, we can't leave it to somebody else to do it because you've called us to do it, God. And that's the most important thing in our lives. I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the strength, God, to do your will constantly and that we could take your gospel, the life-saving cure, outside of these four walls and honor you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.